0: Welcome to the 378th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. Well, we are just a few weeks out from the Treasure Coast Marathon. We're going to have a great crew down there. Um, the race is taking place on March the 5th, so... Most of our crew is in taper mode. Can't wait to meet up with everybody. It's going to be a great weekend. My toe is cooperating. Um, Back to running for the most part, uh, all that I want to run. Um, Haven't done any long runs. Going to do a long run this weekend. um, But doing six-mile runs without any toe injuries, or toe pain, I should say. It's still a little swollen, still a little different looking, but uh, it's not causing me any problems, so I'm not uh, too, too worried about it think we'll be all right we signed up for another 50 miler in april so gotta keep uh keep on keeping on so it should be should be great i hope you all had a nice valentine's day um but back to my foot because that's what's important you know a lot of things happen for a reason i have um you know uh, maybe it's more information than most people need to know about me but i was born with a club foot was in a cast, was in a corrective shoe, um, and lived a very foot-protected life, so to speak, where those Buster Brown hard-soled shoes. That's back in the day when people said, you know, to keep your foot straight and on and on and on. And um, never really developed any arches. It's something that I've been working on, but um, since I've been running, since uh, with you know the marathon, since the. 1999-2000 I've been doing marathons I so put a lot of miles on my feet um, got a little bit um, less big toe mobility than I probably did a little bit of a it's not a bunion per se it's somewhat of a bunion but it's not on the side it's on the top and I, I kind of noticed just like you know not paying that much attention, all of a sudden I don't have that much mobility of my big toe. And it's all, you know, as we've progressed and starting to do mobility over the last several years, it's like, geez, my big toe doesn't really move like it should. And, um, you know, attributed that, you know, I've got this um, kind of abnormal growth in that bone, which is a bunion, and trying to work on a little bit, still working on the arches type of thing. But when I broke my toe, and I went and got the x-ray, besides being all bent out of shape about the bone spurs, the podiatrist. I said, what about this bunion thing? Let me see that. And it turns out that my first metatarsal is kind of sticks up over my the rest of the bones and my toe out towards my toenail. So my it keeps my my um, the little bones in my big toe from from actually contracting and and moving for the most part. And, you know, I, I kind of said, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And he's like, oh, you're flat footed. And it's because you're flat footed that, um, you don't press off with your big toe. You kind of roll to the outside and it's like, wow, you know, big old light bulb went off. And it's like for years and years and years, I've been trying to figure out why I wear out the outside of my shoes And I always attribute it to rolling from the outside to the inside, Um, and I always blamed that because I was in the marching band, and specifically a university marching band where we put in lots and lots of hours, and it was a very, um, the the pride of West Virginia, very precision-type marching band where you didn't want a lot of head bobbing. So they taught you how to, when you were moving in formation and playing, that you rolled from the outside in so that your head didn't bob so it was a very quiet quick walk so that there wasn't a lot of bouncing so that's where i that's what i blamed for this um, abnormal shoe wear was that i i was used to hitting on the outside and rolling in but the podiatrist explained to me not only do i hit on the outside and roll in but when i go to push off i roll back to the outside so i kind of double wear on my outside shoe And it's like, well, that explains a lot of things. You know, after all these years, why I'm getting double wear on the I'm wearing my outside shoe so much is because I'm double hitting on it, basically. And if you were looking to gain speed, that would not be, you know, what a big energy waste to roll in, then roll out before you push forward, you know. So I'm spending all this time, you know, oscillating on my foot before I ever move forward. Thank God I didn't want to go to the Olympics um, because that would have probably never worked if I were in some other country and I had a flag called ROC they probably broken my toes maybe and uh, you know fixed them but anyway nevertheless so I wear my outside of my shoe because I roll from the outside in and then from the inside out before I go forward and if you recall a few months ago when I talked about the marathon and wearing the Newtons and how all of a sudden my arches hurt during the race that like they'd never hurt for a long long time And of course, I attribute it to, you know, changing shoes to the Newtons. But again, if you go to another podcast in Harvey Lewis, and we talked about the Newtons have these lugs in the forefoot under the ball of your foot, which cause you or um, help you to roll forward off your big toe. So all of a sudden I was um, using my arch more so than I ever had. So I try to roll back with these shoes and i still wear the outside of my shoe more than i wear the inside but nevertheless by rolling forward with the newtons it's actually helping me to uh, propel myself more and again when i broke my toe my loan my ultra shoes which are just big wide toe boxes that push me to the outside let me go any place i want in that big toe box They hurt me worse than the Newtons because, again, they let me roll back out onto my little toe, but the Newtons kept me going forward on my big toe, and so they haven't bothered me when I'm running with my broken toe, so I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know if anybody else out there thinks that's pretty cool, but now I'm really sold on the Newton shoes because now I know that they actually help with foot mechanics, um, and I've been really paying attention to trying to roll off this big toe, even though it's not that mobile. And so I do have mobility of my big toe. It's just the very end. So where most people from the, the big joint uh, can bend their toe, I can't really do that. So I roll off from the distal end. So I'm working on it. I'm actually trying to do some mobility there. I can, you know, now I know what I'm looking for a little bit more and uh, who knows who knows I might uh, just get past it but I don't know but it's very very interesting to me so I you know I talked to somebody not that long ago and it's like you know I I love these kind of things when I was growing up I golfed I love the mechanics of the golf swing and I love the mechanics of the swim stroke and I love the mechanics of the running form and uh, you know and again uh, I continue to learn and uh, improve and you know, I still have to say that my times, even with my toe, um, you know, I'm not losing speed yet. So I know I wasn't that fast to start with, but it could be worse. So anyway, um, the science part of today, I wanted to talk a little bit about calcium oxalate stones. Every once in a while, we have somebody come to the practice and say, oh, I can't eat those greens because they have oxalate. My doctor told me I have kidney stones and I can't, I can't eat greens. grains will cause me to have kidney stones. And if you've ever had a kidney stone, they're very, very painful, and I don't want them. So for starters, the symptoms of a kidney stone is back pain under your ribs in the back that kind of radiates from the back around to the front into the groin. That's the pain of a kidney stone. Um, and it can be very, very excruciating because those little stones, if they're big, they're in the main part of the kidney and they don't cause any problems. But when they get down um, uh, to try to pass them, they can, they can be very, very painful. So people that have had kidney stones will do just about anything to avoid kidney stones. The funny thing about it is most people that have kidney stones are not plant-based and they don't eat a particular um, a lot. They don't need a lot of um, Swiss chard or kale or spinach or things like that. So it's not like they eat a lot of this stuff. So how do they get kidney stones in the first place? Well, the reality of it is, kidney stones. They're usually cal- the most common type of kidney stones are calcium oxalate stones. So calcium oxalate. The oxalate does come from green leafy vegetables. Are higher in, in in green leafy vegetables. However, they are um, the calcium part of it tends to come from eating a highly acidic diet. So, if you eat a highly acidic diet, animal protein, specifically sulfur-containing animal um, amino acids, which are found mainly in meats and lunch meats, leach calcium out of the bone. So, you have excess of calcium in the in the urinary system, and that forms and binds with oxalate. And because people tend to have a a higher specific gravity of their urine, these particular populations, then they're prone to form kidney stones. So if we take somebody and put them on a plant-based diet, we've already decreased the risk of kidney stones. So they can continue to eat their vegetables. It's not that they can't metabolize oxalate. It's more that they're acidic by what they're eating, the other thing that uh, contributes besides animal protein, and specifically, you know, when we break down, people talk about essential amino acids. Those are the amino acids that we cannot make; we have to eat. Every food—a banana, a lemon, um, a piece of steak, rice, beans, greens—they all have all nine essential amino acids. They just don't have the same percentage that's in skeletal muscle that's why we don't call them a complete protein but we have all nine essentials so if you never ate another animal product in the rest of your life you would never be devoid or low on the essential amino acids the essential amino acids came from plants that the animal ate them and then you ate the animal but so they're in every so you don't have to worry about missing any amino acids and in fact The amino acids that come from animal protein tend to be higher in these sulfur groups. So the amino acids with a lot of sulfur tend to lead to more acidic urine, more oxalate stones. So when we, again, replace animal products with beans or vegetables and fruit, we're decreasing the acidity and ultimately decreasing the leaching of calcium and the resorption of calcium and decreasing oxalate stones. The other uh, very common stone are either calcium uric stones or even just uric acid crystals. And again, most uric acid comes from the metabolism of animal products. So another reason to have stones is, again, animal products. Um, And then you can have a calcium um, stone as well. But if you get rid of meat, there's actually a 93% uh, reduction in the risk of uric acid uh, crystallization. The other way to protect yourself against kidney stones is to keep your urine pH above 7. And you do that with grains and vegetables and fruits. The most acid-producing foods, fish, especially tuna, you know, the one everybody thought was going to be so helpful. So besides getting mercury, dioxins, and cholesterol, you get uh, more acidity. The other thing is um, pork and then poultry, then cheese, then beef and eggs are all very, very highly acidified you know, foods that, that increase the acidity. Beans, on the other hand, increase alkalization um, as well as fruits and vegetables. If you want uh, to get an idea of your um, risk for kidney stones you can go and I will give a uh, leave a link to it it's called you can actually calculate your lake score and the lake score assigns a number to the amount of particular foods that you eat and how they might increase your risk of calcium oxalate stones the the foods with the highest lake score as you would as we talked about above are beef eggs cured meats And the lowest are beans, potatoes, vegetables, and fruits. The other thing um, that is a risk factor for kidney stones is being a diabetic, being hypertensive, being obese, having metabolic syndrome. And the reason for these things is that these people um, tend to, so if you have hypertension, there's a good chance that your diet is higher in sodium. So if you put salt in the, in the blood, you're increasing sodium. Um, you're increasing the specific gravity of the urine. Um, for those of you who forget your high school chemistry, specific gravity is the equivalent of density. So the specific gravity is in relative to the density of water. So if you put sugar from a diabetic into the uh, kidney or more insulin or more um, inflammatory proteins that are associated with increased insulin syndrome, tumor necrosis factor, growth factor, um, inflammatory compounds such as interleukin-6, interleukin-2, they thicken the blood, they increase the specific gravity, they make the blood more dense, hence you're more likely to form a stone. So, again, hydration, hydration, hydration in the, these, episodes, these conditions, but ultimately you would like to reverse these conditions. It's another reason to reverse hypertension, reverse diabetes, reverse hyperlipidemia, reverse obesity, rather than just put a Band-Aid on it because you have all these secondary side effects. So, um, the other things to look for is to, you know, have, a, have adequate amounts of magnesium, potassium. Um, and even citric acid um, has been shown. There's, there are some papers out there that say um, high-dose vitamin C might increase someone's risk for um, kidney stones, but that is usually, um, those few studies are flawed by being in studies where people consumed a lot of animal products, dehydrated. So um, through this COVID situation where I've had people um, taking in a lot of vitamin C when they're sick, not had a problem and not seen any kidney stones. So again, it's hydration, 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 decreasing the specific gravity or normalizing the specific gravity of the urine, decreasing the acidity of the urine. And this is best done by fruits, vegetables, water and reversing those disease. When you eat potatoes, guess what? They're high in potassium. So beans high in potassium that is protective against kidney stones. Magnesium found in all these vegetables as well. So the magnesium and the potassium balances oxalate and uh, calcium. So if you want to avoid kidney stones, you don't avoid greens. You do, again, continue to avoid uh, animal products. I had an interesting call this week, um, and it's um, again, goes back to people. The younger you are, the more invincible you think you might be. And uh, the person had gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes associated with a marked increased risk of permanent adult onset diabetes, if not treated or changed uh, as far as nutritionally, and a marked increased risk of cardiovascular disease, not only in mom, but in the child. And um, so we think of pregnancy as a temporary condition, which it is, but things that happen during pregnancy can result in permanent changes to obviously mom and the baby for instance um, postpartum cardiomyopathy that's going to happen in women um, you know can be associated with a permanent decrease in cardiac function Um, gestational diabetes hypertensive you know preeclampsia all those things can result in a more permanent condition or risk for cardiovascular disease so Again, it's very important to, you know, take heed and ask yourself what causes those things in the first place. Um, if you have a healthy person and then all of a sudden they're not healthy, um, it's usually not all of a sudden. It's usually a an, an accumulation of effects and pregnancy puts... You know some of the biggest stresses on a woman that she'll ever experience, both from a volume standpoint, from a vascular standpoint, from a musculoskeletal standpoint, from a hormonal standpoint. So it's a huge stress on a woman. You know we think people have been having babies forever and ever, but um, you have to look back. It's not been that long since um, there was a significant uh, risk of infant mortality and. Um, You know, maternal mortality. So it is not without danger. So when someone is not healthy to start with and then becomes pregnant, it brings out all the weaknesses, so to speak, uh, or the potential flaws in someone's nutrition. So if someone is eating a poor diet but then becomes pregnant, then all of these things start to show up. Um, Certainly with excessive weight gain, everything, you know, it gets worse, but nutrition. Is really what's at, you know, what's going on at this point. So to say that you don't really need to change your diet or you don't need that much of a change, is really uh, putting your head in the sand because there's some there's some big things going on in order to make a 24 year old or 20 year old or 29 year old hypertensive or to have diabetes, something that needs to be taken very very serious, uh, risk of stroke, vascular damage, and so forth so um you know a lot of times younger people looked and say well their parents would benefit for from eating a plant-based diet because they're old you know they have risk factors they you know they don't have as much reserve as you know some young person with lots of muscles potentially Um, but that's that's just not true if we look at children you know um, well over 40 percent of children have a chronic disease what is this from Um, and certainly nutrition plays a a giant role in it. So there's no age that, um, is without risk from poor nutrition. And just like I said last week, there's no age that won't benefit from improved nutrition. But to just say that it, uh, you know, a plant-based whole food diet will help, um, an older person, but, but a young people don't need to heed, um, you know, don't be so sure of yourself. Don't be so sure of yourself. Which brings me to another thing that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna root on too long. Um, it just I, I saw a post um, talking about industry and longevity pills or longevity medication that can alter cellular function and help people live longer. Um, and and then there was a reference on caloric restriction helping people to live longer. And you know these were made; uh, these statements were made in the point uh, in the same context where um, faulty science and people that say that you know you should avoid oil, um, especially olive oil, maybe you know those people are crazy. There's no scientific proof. We need to go down this road of industry and genetics and pills and perhaps caloric restriction. And I kind of laughed to myself because obviously this person doesn't deal with humans um and in the real world um you know if we're going to do marked caloric restriction uh 20-30 percent of calories long term we're going to pretty much have to bulldoze all the fast food restaurants around um if if that's going to be take place and There's no use to have these big giant grocery stores with all their aisles of frozen prepared foods that are laced with oils and sugars and all these kind of things because that won't work. So if I have trouble getting people to eat more fruits and vegetables and get ready meat, I thought good luck to this person who's going to severely calorically restrict somebody and get the nutrients in uh, and just take a pill and they'll live longer all the money in the world good luck to you you know it'll be a lot you know i thought it would be a uh, many moons after i'm long gone before we live on pills and pills alone and there are you know the the system is too many cogs in the wheel right now to promote overeating overconsumption, um, high fat high calorie high you know high chemical dense foods at this point to pull that one off so Good luck to those Palo Alto researchers out there that think that um, they're going to find the cure and people are going to be able to eat their Burger King and uh, maybe one a week and take a pill and be all right. I wrote down the title of this podcast when I started it the beginning of the week as put your own mask on first. And when you get on an airplane, uh, the flight attendant gets up and she says a number of the safety features. But one of the things that she says, in the event of a decrease in cabin, cabin pressure, mask will drop down, secure your mask first, and then help those around you. And I thought about that uh, because it has a lot to do with what I really wanted to talk about today. Um, but it may, be, it may seem selfish. But what she's saying is if you can't save yourself first, you can't help others. And it doesn't mean, you know, taking care of yourself and leaving others behind, no man left behind, but it means that we have to secure our own health before we can help those of those around us. And I had a very sad thing happen this week. Um, I lost one of my favorite uh, members of the practice. And it was a very tragic passing, way, way too young. And, you know, um, and I don't think he would mind, and, and maybe he would be um, a little, he would probably smile if he, if he heard me mention his name. Um, but rest in peace, Roman. Roman was a Polish immigrant to the New, York, New Jersey area, um as a young adult and he worked as a baker he baked bread he had his own company and he worked and he worked very very hard and he took care of his family he sent his children to college he sent one child to medical school and his health was always second to everybody else's welfare he was morbidly obese when he was in New Jersey. He had a bypass. He had carotid artery surgery. He had vascular surgery done. And to the point where his doctors said, Roman, you should just retire and go to Florida and get your affairs in order. Enjoy the last few years of his life. So he did. And he came to Florida. And somehow Roman and I met. And I don't know to this day how he heard about the practice. But we talked about plant-based nutrition. At that time, Roman, and I've talked about him on the podcast before, could only walk a few hundred feet before he had severe claudication, severe cramping in his legs. And his legs were swollen. He was overweight. He had lost some weight on a boatload of medications for diabetes and hypertension and high cholesterol. And he could cook. He was obviously a good bread baker. And when he came to Florida, uh, he couldn't do much because... He had severe pain in his legs when he walked around. He still dabbled a little bit in cake decoration, decorating. That was his passion. He loved to, to decorate cakes, and he worked, um, at, when I first met him, I think one day a week uh, at our local grocery stores doing cake decorations. Well, I convinced Roman to become plant-based, and we worked together, and Roman lost a significant amount of weight, and he started walking, and we'd county steps, and he would county steps, till he got pain in his legs and had to stop. And every day he would note how many steps he got before he had to walk, before he had to stop and rest. And ultimately we got him off of a lot of his medications and and his weight came down and he could walk over a thousand steps to the point where he walked so many steps over the thousand he quit counting. And he started riding his bike. He felt so good that he went back to work. He went back to work at Panera's part-time. And he, and he worked a couple extra days at, at Publix making uh, decorating cakes. And Roman's wife was sick. She had uh, multiple sclerosis. And he was her caregiver. And he was very, very dedicated to her. No one could take care of her and no one could take care of her like Roman did. So he would work night shifts so that he could care for his wife during the day. And ultimately, his worked to support them in his caretaking for her and she didn't want to become plant-based she didn't like the food Um, led him to go back to his old ways so the diabetes control started to worsen his weight came back on blood pressure became somewhat of an issue and ultimately Uh, he had a bad back from his years of baking and we worked on his posture but it was you know it was just uh, more than than you know he could could handle doing what he needed to do and ultimately had a fall and um, passed away after surgery and I have to say that in my entire practice of medicine there have been a handful of people, and, and it's not like that I don't want every one of my patients to do well, but there have been a handful of people that I really, really wanted to help, and I saw so much potential, um, but it just wasn't in the cards, and to some degree, you know, it's, it's very disappointing. It's very sad. I feel bad. I feel like I let him down, maybe his family down, but I also have to realize that what I wanted for Roman wasn't necessarily what Roman wanted for Roman. Um, he was the epitome of service to other people, especially his family. He was the most humble person, I've I've noted. When I think of Roman, I think of somebody smiling ear to ear, walking really fast. Um, the funniest story was one Christmas I ordered vegan sushi from the local grocery store and I went to pick it up and it was gone and Roman had got my order and he really was hurrying to get home and he told the sushi guy just give it to me and they'll get another order and it turns out it was mine and so it was always a joke between us that that he that he got my sushi I'll always remember Roman because he he was a fabulous cook And he came up with a salad that we make in our nutrition class to this day, Um, a beet salad with very thinly sliced onions and apples and beets and parsley. It was delicious. He made cabbage rolls and brought them to our potluck, um, you know, with his Polish twist and a plant-based sauce, you know, that was altered from his sauce that he'd made uh, when he wasn't plant-based. And he made a little train out of peppers, because he was so creative, out of peppers and celeries and carrots. And, you know, he he was, you know, again, extremely creative, extremely talented, extremely gracious, extremely humble. But Roman's choice was to serve others, and especially his wife, and, and that's what he wanted. And... I wanted Roman to be plant-based and to have his wife be plant-based and then both to be healthy and happy, and it wasn't in the cards for them. It wasn't, it wasn't what they were choosing, and I had to accept that and to help Roman the best that I could. And I think you know that comes up quite a bit. Um, ultimately, everybody gets a choice to decide how they want to live their life. It's my job to educate people and to support them, but ultimately, they they get the choice. And a healthy lifestyle is it's not necessarily everybody's choice. I think what's funny is that, well, it's not necessarily funny, but humans want to help other people more so than they want to help themselves. So back to putting your own mask on first. People in the human, you know, the human spirit of life is that people are willing to help other people and neglect their own welfare. It's easier to try to help somebody else than to look to take the hard look at yourself and and to address, you know, the hard changes that that you need to make. And And I'm not saying that Roman didn't want to look at those, but it's so much easier to dig in and just work to help somebody else and not look back towards yourself and not deal with it. You know, it's even as simplistic as, you know, if you go to the golf course and you have two people golfing and somebody's new at it and somebody, even though they're not a professional and they don't know anything about a golf swing, they're trying to tell somebody what to do. You know, people are often telling people how, how to do something better, even though they perhaps aren't an expert of it, but they think they may know more than the other person. So as humans, we're always, you know, we're always trying to get give advice Roman gave service. He didn't give advice. He just gave his service. But I think that, again, if we could help ourselves more um, and become more healthy as individuals, then it would be easier for other people to look at us and say, okay, I can do it too. And so I think the strength comes in turning, in putting your own mask on first and becoming healthy first and figuring out how to eat plant-based and how to get your own cholesterol under control and how to get your blood pressure under control and how to get your exercise in line and then share your experience with others but ultimately they get to choose if that is to be their experience or not there are a tremendous amount of people out there that are the reformed vegan or the reformed plant based or the reformed smoker or the reformed fat guy that are ready to give advice to other people um, but not necessarily, the people aren't necessarily ready for the advice. Um, so the lesson I learned from Roman is be humble, be kind, and be gracious. And I respect him tremendously for what he was, not what, not for what I wanted him to be. You can't force a new diet on people. You can't force people to be healthy or change their ways. You can't force a different personality on people, but you can see them for what they are and see, the, and see the beauty in each individual. And that's what Roman taught me. Roman would have made that point with just a shrug of his shoulder, a twist of his head, and a big old smile and said, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And as Cinderella would say, be kind, have courage, and all will be well. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, find out more about our practice, go over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. I'd love to have a comment from you or an email, jamie at drdelaney.com. Who knows, maybe I'll see you at the marathon in a few weeks or in April uh, in in the Houston area for uh, the uh, Brazos 50-miler. So thank you very much for listening. Remember... Put your own mask on first, then you can help other people. Rest in peace, my friend.